Self-Discovery Radio, where the discovery of self is but a show away. With over 1,800 shows and growing, we bring you those liberating stories that help you on your own life's journey from every single topic you can think of. The only common denominator is authenticity and living in your meaningful purpose. Come and read our new e-book, plus see our discovery store and what wonderful tools we have for you. Do enjoy our shows and don't forget to share. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living. I am your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is David Guthrow. We're going to be talking about conversations in organizations. That organization could be anything from three or four or five people to hundreds of people. But I think we've lost the knack of being able to listen to one another, to truly hear. Is it our conversational style? Is it because we're listening from different perspectives? Are there too many personalities there and not any one leader? How do we have a conversation that invites people to listen, invites people to participate, and generally actually does speak to whatever the issue is and doesn't go off track? Well, David's been doing this for many, many years, and he's helped many an organization get on track by being able to speak with one another, have that conversation, and really get down to the root of the issues and speak to what really needs to be heard. It is a gift, it is an art, and it is something that we all need to learn because miscommunication can be your downfall in every area of your life. So let's bring David on and find out if we can pull some tips out of him today of how we can communicate better. Welcome to the show, David. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Most, uh, most, most, most pleasure. Conversation. Um, this is a conversational show. And it always interests me when I get people that are public speakers um, because they're so used to addressing people. They've actually lost the art of communication, of conversation. And conversation is something that really is inspiration and invitation, isn't it? But a lot of people have lost the art of. Un- unfortunately, I think that's, uh, that's very true. They've lost the art of it, or I'm not sure they've necessarily lost the art of it, but they're out of practice because they don't have that many opportunities to actually engage in it in an authentic way. Yeah, um, and you know, maybe it's because people have lost the art of truly listening? You know, and again, I'm not sure that they've lost the art. I think, you know, we talk about uh, time-based competition, and it seems like there's always a rush to do to do more, faster, better, and that stopping to listen and pay attention seems to get in the way. And, you know, the irony is that although there isn't the time to have sort of an exploratory conversation and come to agreement because of time, somehow when things go off the rail and things blow up, people find time to fix it. So it's yeah. <laughs> one of those... If we just spent a little bit of that time in advance, we would have saved a whole lot of time after the miscommunication occurred. Right, exactly. Would you actually let say that maybe time has become the obstacle? That, as you said, people aren't giving the time just to get, you know, to, to when they go into a meeting to unwind. You know, how is everybody doing? Um, have that cup of coffee, have a little chit-chat, kind of focus in and then be able to get into the conversation. And it's all about the clock, the clock, the clock. And that, you know, that has kind of misguided us uh, in so many ways. I think that's a big piece of it, you know, but even even when you design time in for conversations where they're still living in, as many people described it, the, uh, yeah, an age of distraction. So, you know, even when you have the time for the conversation, you may be looking at, at the person beyond the person you're speaking to. You may be aware of your phone buzzing. There's so many different things that are that are going on that even when time is carved out for conversation, there's many other things that are, are drawing your attention. So how do people find that focus? How do they set a time aside and say, this is the conversation for today. Let's focus in on it. I think part of it is about being very intentional and making the request in some cases. I mean, I've been in meetings where the, the uh, senior manager has asked their folks to turn off their phones and shut down their computers, and basically they were ignored. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, almost like it's a, it, it's, it's a right to be able to, mm. to be distracted, whatever you want. So I think part of it is to, is to acknowledge why it's important to set those things aside and that you know we don't have time to have the same conversation five times so let's have it well 
once, and it's it's uh, you know because sometimes I think it's seen as a a bit of a power issue for someone to say you know put your phones aside it's all about me it's really not about that I think it's like any uh, change initiative it's about making the case for change you have to make the case for conversation so mm. why is this important well, you know what will happen if we if we don't have a high quality conversation right now it's uh, it's not easy making the time isn't sufficient it's also about making a case for the importance of it I think there's a huge amount of respect missing here. If you can't put your phone down and close your computer to be present in this meeting, then you know how do you expect to be um, acknowledged or respected back yourself? Because you're not paying respect to the person who's hosting that meeting. Um, you know, maybe I'm just old here, but that really kind of screams to me as a lack of respect. You know, respect is an interesting one because it's uh, you know I think there's the perspective of the different individuals around that because I don't think people intentionally think that they're being disrespectful by by doing other things and not participating in the conversation, yet that's exactly the way it's perceived by the person that's trying to have the conversation. Uh, I know that um, this is a little bit of a divergence, but I was in a consulting group in, in, uh, in Toronto where uh, there were six of us, all guys, and half of the group was always on time and half the group was always late and there was you know always good reasons for that and the folks that were on time felt that would that they weren't being their time wasn't being respected by the folks that were late and the ones that were late weren't intentionally thinking they were more important than anyone else that they had all kinds of good reasons for being late and and you know didn't think they were being disrespectful however as a group we had the conversation that said you know what if it's if it's perceived as disrespectful by anyone and it impacts our relationships we have to address it. Mm-hmm. Well, we just had a commitment that if you ever kept someone waiting for a conversation, you paid $1 per minute per person. <laughs> that you. So if we're 10 minutes late, the conversation might still go on, but the five other people, you had to pay 50 bucks on the spot. Well, <clears throat> it would be nice to say that just wanting to be more respectful to each other, people that we really like would have done it. But put a few bucks on it and it really started to shift people's behavior. Right. Once the behavior was shifted, then, you know, it was easier to do it out of respect, but it got to the point, we were hoping that someone would be late so you'd get your lunch money. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but um, we, had to, we had to talk about it as an issue of, of respect and because the relationships were important, the respect, having the conversation about respect was enough to, to change the behavior. Mm. So, the you know I think when you come back to conversations and what you do in a group I think there has to be you know the relationship has to matter in order for people to want to pay attention and listen if they say if I say to you I don't really care our relationship isn't really important I'm not going to put any effort into making it work better for you there's really nothing that can be done about that you can't you can't force it so you know I think maybe underlying the conversation around conversation is uh, the importance of, of relationship and the value of relationship, you more know, so I, even than the conversation. Yeah, exactly. I, and, you know, going back, respect, value, you know, that is something I think, um, I'm not sure people have kind of still got the same kind of value uh, of not only other people's time, but of their input. Um, you know, everybody's voice is important, you know, whether that whatever statement they made you might think is frivolous, but it could actually kind of spark people off in another direction. Um, you know, it could be just that innovative idea. And, then, and really, there has to be the respect to being able to listen to everybody, right? Uh, uh, and uh, let everybody contribute. Yeah, exa- exactly. And contribute in their own way. Because some people are much more, like you were talking earlier in the introduction about small groups and large groups, is that there's some people are very comfortable speaking in large groups and getting their voice out there. And there's a ton of people that are not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ensure that everyone gets heard appropriately relative to their own sort of uh, comfort and style is, is a pretty important design issue, in, especially in larger conversations. Uh, I find that uh, when you're in, in big groups, you've always got kind of the alphas, you know, the people that are the leaders. And um, I do find myself when, when I'm in it that yeah, I kind of seem to be steering the conversation and it just seems to kind of naturally happen. Um, but it's, do you find that that can be a detriment to 
the conversation of Zoral, or do you actually need somebody that kind of stirs it and and uh, leads it and and kind of sparks it? Well, I think you need either a person or a process. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. I've I've been working with one particular group where once a year they have a a forum where there could be as many as seven hundred people in the room, wow. and one of the things that doesn't work is for a speaker to speak and then say, are there any questions or comments? Because it's predictable who's going to stand up and comment, because they always do, and their voice gets heard, people's eyes roll, mm-hmm. and the speaker, <laughs> I, guess, I guess everyone's on board with this and there aren't any more questions, when in fact it's a failure of, of, of the process to engage people. Right. So with groups like that, it's it's important that you find a way that people can participate but not hijack the conversations. So uh, typically we'll have small table group conversations, perhaps hosted by a facilitator to have the conversation. And then when you have a group of 700 people, you can't get everyone commenting. The process would be mind-numbing and it would take forever. But what I have done in the past is have tables assigned with a number on it and then use a random number generator on my iPad and let people know that we're just going to have a, uh, we want the conversations captured at the table level, but it's important to hear kind of the tone of what's going on in the room. And to do that, once it's time for that input, I will hit the random number generator and a table number will come up and that person will have an opportunity to speak on behalf of the table rather than themselves, mm-hmm. comments were. So it ensures that everyone stays in the conversation because you never know when your number is going to be called and you don't want to have your table number called and have nothing to say. Uh, but it also sort of keeps us individuals from dominating. So it's, you know, it's a process issue to keep people engaged in the conversation. And whether one voice is heard in 700 isn't as important as that one voice is at least heard at the table and people have had an opportunity to have input in an environment that feels safer for them. Right. I mean, everybody digests information at a different level, don't they? You know, some people are very quick. I see it. Let's do it. You know, other people, I need to kind of research this a little more. You know, for some people, yeah, but, you know, where is the the, the grounding or the security there? And for other people, I feel it. Let's do it. So everybody has their own process of how they digest information and how they're going to react to it. And you could have some very obscure reactions, but none of them are wrong. They're coming from that person's perspective of how they've digested that information. So never dismiss anything. Absolutely. Totally agree. Everybody's input is important. Uh, and again, there goes lies the respect, right? It's, um, you know, don't dismiss that person because they're not speaking your language. Listen to what they have to say because they're speaking somebody else's. Yeah, and it, and it depends on how the conversation is set up. If it's about exploring to find a deeper truth, if it's about making a decision, if it's about coming up with new ideas. So I think framing what you're looking for from the conversation helps people participate in the way that serves the purpose of the conversation rather than just their own uh, personal style for communication. Mm-hmm. You know, the the roundtable type conversation, you know, um, especially if you have got a lot of business leaders there, everybody's come with their own agenda. Um, you know, the listening skill of listening to what somebody else wants, you know, there seems to be sometimes a defense already up there. I'm going to protect what I want no matter what. Um, you know, is there any common denominator that kind of puts neutral out on the table? where, you know, that's the common denominator of what everybody wants. Let's address on how we can get to that. Is there any technique to that? <laughs> well, I think there's, there's, you know, I think it's about being intentional about what the purpose of a conversation is. I, I'm not so sure it's a technique. It's just, you know, to be clear on what the purpose, purpose of the conversation is. Now, it can be helpful to have a neutral facilitator there to guide the process. So that, uh, you know, so the personal agendas don't come up. Someone that has an ability to say, you know, to redirect it. Let's focus back on what the content is and those sorts of things. It's it's difficult to have a senior leader to be the host of the conversation and expect that it's going to be balanced input. Mm-hmm. Just the dynamic of being in a room, being at a table where someone else is in a position to do you good or do you harm unconsciously, I think, influences the way that you participate in the conversation which is why in many, many cases I recommend using an external facilitator, whether it's for a small group or a large group, to ensure that you have balanced input. 
And and if you don't want balanced input and you're just trying to persuade everyone else to see it your way, then, you know, don't pretend it's an open conversation. Right. Yeah, this is your agenda and you're going to push it, right? Um, yep. And I think, it's, you know, having somebody neutral there, especially if it's something that's very, very important, you know, that is the changing of the direction of the company, something that's very significant, um, because everybody's invested in their own emotion around whatever it is they want to, to put on the table. Um, and they're driven by that emotion. And we know that very often conversations become very emotional. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we want people to, to participate with passion and conviction. But if there's a very fine line for whether, you know, kind of tiltering over to the emotional side of things. Yes. And there's, you know, unfortunately, there's no prescription that can be followed that's going to guarantee that those things don't get in the way. So, you know, I think your ability to, or a person's ability to, to adapt and be paying attention to the conversation, both being in the conversation and of the conversation, it's a, it's a challenge, but it's, it's important. I guess the other thing, too, is that sometimes there's ongoing conversations that happen. So one of my clients in the past decided to implement something that they called the, uh, the team doctor. And in a conversation, in a business conversation, it would be a rotating role where one person, in addition to being in the conversation, would be responsible for looking at how the conversation was going at the end of the meeting just comment on, here's some things that I think we did really well with mm-hmm. respect to what agenda was in focus, and here's some things where we need to get better. So when it's a group that's going to be together on an ongoing basis, to continually uh, spend a little bit of time on how to improve the way they have the conversations is a really, really valuable thing to do. Would you say that um, it helps to have somebody there that's kind of taking notes, and then those notes get to maybe signed off by the person in charge, added to added information to it you know where this is where the points were good this is what we could approve on and then those same notes go out to everyone because i know some people's excuse of having the computer there i'm taking notes well close the computer switch the phone off and have somebody there that's all they're doing is they're taking the notes of the conversation and then everybody gets the same thing you know i, I think there's a lot of uh, it depends uh, around that, because it really depends on what the purpose of the conversation is. I mean, if if you're on a on a board meeting or something like that, there's quite often a board secretary that's taking notes not of everything that was said, but of decisions that were taken and things like that. Because a lot of people won't read through the whole transcript of what's going on. I think uh, in some cases it's it's a just it's really hard to be in the conversation while you're taking notes. So I think you're. Your comment there is really important. If if it is something where there is going to be note taking, then then to do that, there's there's something. I'm going to totally gap on the name here now, but there's there's a process that's named after an organization in in the UK where uh, whatever is said is recorded, but it's not. There's no attribution to it, and so uh, where that comes in handy, uh, the name will probably occur to me probably about 10 minutes after we hang up. But <laughs> I may even, during the conversation here, suddenly pop up. <laughs> I may blurt it out. And exactly. You'll it <laughs> so, but it's a, it's a process whereby, so I'll tell you when I used it. So this is a conversation between the, the CEOs of some uh, extractive industry uh, companies, so mining companies and things like that, as well as some international NGOs that were based in Canada. And the conversation that they wanted to have was about how how can we, these two groups that are quite often seen as enemies or in conflict with each other, work together in developing countries to be a more positive model of how development can take place. And the concern was that you didn't want to be seen to be consorting with the enemy. So if you're an NGO and you're getting sponsorship dollars to help let's say, you know, fight against uh, child slavery in some country in Africa, to be perceived to be having a conversation with mining companies that that might actually have been accused of doing that same sort of thing. That, you know, they might not want to sponsor that NGO anymore. Mm-hmm. So the problem was a lot of conversations that could be quite collaborative in nature and have Canada lead the way in more response, be more responsible in working in developing countries, you know, that, that would be stilted. So wanted to have all the comments there, but not attributed to one person or another. And it was a way to have the kind of conversation that could actually move things ahead 
without the fear of the uh, how people might interpret the optics of having those two groups in the same room. Mm-hmm. And and I was really impressed with the willingness to do that because when you're a, a large extractive company, you're working in a developing country. If you screw up, you know you, <laughs> you screw up not just in that country, but anywhere you have a reputation. Yes. And so. You know, they wanted to do the right thing, as and the NGOs wanted the right thing done as well. But they, you know, quite often looked as being on opposite sides of the fence, when in fact they had similar objectives for different reasons. But how can we make things better for the folks in those countries if we actually work together to find a better way to do it? What are some things that we can do together to build trust and then to start to have a positive impact on those countries? So in that case, there was a conversation where it was really important that the ideas and thoughts were recorded, but there wasn't attribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of keeping things even, isn't it? Exactly. Like, Addressi- you know, if- addressing the real root of the problem without any accusation. Yes, and um, my phone just beeps, so I'm just going to... If the battery starts to go, I'm just going to switch things over, so hopefully this will just... <laughs> Sorry about that. Let me see if we can do this. Hello? I'm here. There we go. Okay, that's better. Now we don't need to worry about the battery running up. <laughs> the good old uh, phone wire into the wall, right? There's something still to be said for it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so, it's, you know, so much, like there used to, there was a book that was, um, a magazine called The Utney Reader published a book number of years ago called The Joy of Conversation and how it used to be way back when that some people actually made their, their living hosting conversation and by bringing interesting people in and finding a way for folks to engage in a conversation and sort of the status came by who showed up for the conversation and how they engaged in it and it was about conversations it wasn't about one person presenting and other people listening mm-hmm. it was truly engaging in a conversation that built a deeper shared understanding and built community and built trust as a result of having the conversation in that in that particular fashion. I think you know the art of conversation is something that's um, teeter tottering a lot. You know, I think people have kind of forgotten. You know that it's an interaction, it's a participation, um, and it, it's you know about stepping up and you know owning kind of what you say and really you know wanting to participate. You know, when we look at a lot of the young people today, you know, they they seem to interact with the texting and Snapchatting and everything else far more than they seem to actually converse with one another. Um, in seeing this, do you do you have any concerns for the future of, uh, you know, the the art of conversation still being in play, or is it going to turn the tide completely in a different way? That's so hard to say because it's. You know, it really depends on what your own conversation preference is. Like my, I have a 17-year-old daughter, and she's, you know, on technology all the time, and she has conversations on technology. And in fact, for a while, she she hated using the telephone, right? Because for some reason, it was it was just more anxiety-causing. I, I find one of the things that she's doing now, if if my wife and I are trying to have a conversation with her, she will at least stop doing what she's doing and put it on pause and look up to have that that connection which i see as a really positive thing mm-hmm. you know I, you know i think what's going to cause a change is when there's enough miscommunication and negative consequences of not listening that people realize that having a conversation is actually the answer to something it's not about the conversation itself but that it delivers a better result when yeah. you have that connection yeah because so people... mm-hmm. go ahead well, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking about what happens in the United States when when uh, Trump goes ahead and tweets something, which <laughs> isn't a conversation, but creates a huge uh, reaction, and there's no opportunity to have a clarifying conversation. Okay. It's uh, it's totally one way, and those kinds of things are incredibly toxic, right? Because there's no ability to to question the the truth of anything. I think one of the challenges in conversations today is people make statements that indicate their belief but not necessarily would be based on you know some uh, some provable or testable fact and how do you make good decisions when the truth value or the factual basis of any statement is is questionable and tough to actually 
tough to question, I guess. Well, you know, it goes back, you know, to what I said earlier is that, you know, when, when you even make an inspiring statement, it should be an invitation, you know, to, uh, to ignite and to ask more and to converse more, you know, not a statement that shuts people down. Um, you know, he shuts people down. You know, it's kind of drops the mic, so to speak. So there is no invitation for conversation there. And, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of people that use this kind of technique and it's the be all or the end all, so to speak. But I think the people that are open to conversing, inquiring, respecting the differences, you know, asking why you've come at it from that approach, help me understand, are the people that are going to kind of build a deeper foundation, a deeper structure in which to build from in any af- aspect of their lives. I would agree. There has to be a desire to do that. It's tough to have an open conversation when you have an outcome that requires just one decision or one conclusion. It's really hard to do that. Yeah. It's like you really, the purpose, you know. When I Com- think common convers- denominators need to be found, right? You know, you may disagree here, may disagree here, but what do we agree on? Find the right. common and denominator. Build from there. Yeah. And it may just be that we agree that it's an important conversation to have and, and start with that. I know that I, I think having a common basis, like, there was a song by Sting a number of years ago, and one of the lines in it was, you know, surely the Russians must love their children too. Right. And it, it made me think of a, a movie called Amazing Grace and Chuck. And that was where this, uh, this young kid, you know, found out that there were missiles that were pointed at Russia and things like that and and he just decided until something was done about that he wasn't going to talk anymore and so this kind of hit I mean it was a really interesting movie I don't think it got too much viewing but the the point behind it was pretty soon all kinds of kids just refused to talk to talk to their parents to talk to anyone and this caught on and the same sort of thing was happening in, in, in Russia and what brought the, the Russians and the Americans together was the fact that they all had kids and the kids weren't talking to them anymore. So, you know, the common base was, was family or kids or, or something like that. And, and if you do have that common base, at least you have something to hang on to that says, this is important to us. Now we can differ yeah. because things that, that we have some glue that holds us together that allows us to differ constructively. I think also when... when uh you look at difference, you know, which uh, at the present political climate is all focusing on everybody being different. Um, you know, and I, I go, I don't care whether you're black, white, pink, polka dot. Um, you know, it really isn't about that. It's, it is about let's look at each other as a part of the human race. And we may bring a different spice and a different flavor to the table, which makes the table more exciting. But fundamentally, everybody's looking for the same thing. You know, they want to be valued and respected and loved and the ability to love, to feel secure, to build a life. You know, it doesn't matter who you talk to, where in the world, everybody's looking for that common denominator, right? That that uh, thing in common with everybody else. Um, and it's, I think if we just step out of our own limitations, we would actually understand that the conversation is about how we can all achieve it rather than kind of in a way deceive it, which is what I feel is what's going on right now. Now, part of it is, you know, sort of a having a, an either-or mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, what what work? And if you come at things from scarcity and if someone else has it, I can it, it, There's really not a lot of room for movement. The, the folks from Second City just recently published a book called Yes And, using mm-hmm. talking some of the principles of improv, which I think are great principles for any conversation. And it's, you know, if you agree on the principles, then the content we almost become secondary. Principles like, you know, make the other person look good, uh, keep the conversation going, you know, focus on the relationship and things like that. Like if people came at conversations with that perspective, they'd be quite different conversations instead of conversation being something that you have to, you have to win. Like, is it possible for everyone to go out feeling they've won if your measuring stick is you learn something that you didn't know before or you have a broader perspective of an issue. Mm-hmm. And I think the word there, broader, um, 
you know, here at Self Discovery Radio, um, I've interviewed people from all walks of life. Um, you know, many, many different diversities, uh, you know, uh, different um, faiths, you know, different um, political um, uh, views, but the, there is a common denominator there. And it is all about, you know, how do we kind of live authentically? How do we contribute to humanity? You know, how do we build a better place for us all to live in? Um, and it's only through the conversation and the unraveling you know that we truly then start seeing that core um you know that truth in there and that understanding that we're really on the same page we're just using different crayons um but we're not going to do that if we're not willing to immerse in the conversation we're not going to do that if we're not willing to listen hear each other and interact with each other because nothing could be achieved through the silence or through the talking you know at each other rather than with each other yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, it's, it starts with the will mm-hmm. to have the conversation and then the skill to have the conversation is secondary. I think if you teach people conversation skills and things like that, they don't have the will or the desire to do it, and it's, it's basically a waste of time. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, of your 30 years of what you've been doing here, that um, industry has changed quite considerably? I think it used to be kind of quite dictatorial. You know, the boss's rule was his rule, and there really wasn't much invitation for conversation. But would you would you see the the tide has turned now, and that industry is more about, you know, listening to everybody within the organization because you don't want to turn away a good idea. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Am I being hopeful? <laughs> oh no. I mean, I don't have a broad enough, you know, sample size to to say if it's changed dramatically. I think you know. What I see is there's more desire to to engage people. I mean, you have you look at a lot of the surveys that are done about engagement scores and things like that. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, employees that you know I didn't see a whole lot of that 10, 20 years ago. Pretty important now, and one of the ways you engage them is in conversation. But I think there's huge differences within industries. I mean, there's some that are very hierarchical. I mean, I was I was doing some work with a mining company in South America, and um, the, the president of this particular mine was, you know, very open-minded, wanted to have people, you know, participate and communicate, but it was in a culture where you just don't do that, and, and he would get very frustrated because he'd create an environment. He'd really want to hear what people said, but because the sort of the, the, uh, the cultural overlay, that, that wasn't happening. So, you know, it's really, there's so many different variables, you know, to to look at that issue that you're describing. I, I work a lot in the credit union system, and it's, you know, collaboration and cooperation are, you know, a lot of the, the values, and they do a lot of listening and, and thinking. I, I worked in other parts of the financial services industry where there's the talk like that, but it's still very much a, a top-down mm-hmm. sort of thing. And then you can have you can have a corporate culture that's very collaborative, but an individual manager may choose not to do that. So it's you know I would hate to broad brush all organization and say it's going more towards towards engaging in in conversation. I think there's a lot more rhetoric about it. I think there's more books about it. A lot more books out on on teamwork and engaging people, and more books on how to deal with conflict and dialogue versus discussion things like that. So. I'm not sure how it plays out in practice because I just haven't worked in enough different industries to say categorically it's it's shifted over the last 10 or 20 years. They say that the millennials are more relaxed in their approach, you know, kind of more camaraderie, let's have a chat about it, that we've got a problem. I don't know if you work a lot with millennials, but, um, you know, you do have obviously the go-getters, but you... From what um, I'm understanding and in interviewing some of the millennials, it is it is more of a let's collaborate, um, which you know it's all about everybody's input. Are you seeing that? Well, I work a lot with young leaders, and I find that that they're willing to do that because they don't have as much ego invested. They're not the top of the organization. Mm-hmm. But I I will say that, and again, maybe this a little bit off topic, but I, I find. But a lot of the folks that would be in the, the demographic millennial category are getting really tired of being labeled as a millennial, as right. if it's a you know a, a psychographic that's consistent because it isn't. I, mean, I find people that would be in that category that 
you know, maybe they just come through their MBA school or, or whatever, and there's one way to do things, and it's about getting ahead. And there's others that are quite collaborative, just as you find people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, that their whole style is about collaboration and communication and connection, others that are not. And, and I think that using relatively simplistic demographic slices of our society to put people in these age buckets might be of, of some, some interest and some value, but I think it gets dangerous when it becomes too prescriptive. So I, I'd be hesitant. Some of the stereotypes of, of what are described as millennials might be that they're more collaborative. However, I, I, would, I would not want to put everyone through that same sheep dip. Right, frankly. exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a 70s chick, so I'm the baby boomer. Um, and, you know, the practices of business back then is that, you know, no one listened to anybody. It was just whatever the boss said, you went and did, you jumped through hoops. Um, I'm hoping that that's changed now. I'm hoping that there is more, you know, um, the people that are on the forefront. Um, I was the first woman rep for mobile oil in South Africa. And, and really, and quite honestly, I didn't know much about oil. Uh, but, you know, the people I was selling it to did. And it really came down to what price, what service could you give me that's better than what the other person could give. And there is so much um, personal interaction with whatever client you're going to have. So, you know, step out of the boardroom, step out of, you know, the conference. That interaction and that conversation you need to have with your clients it's not about the pitch. It's not about what you've got that you're trying to sell them. It's about what they need. And most of the time, what they really want from you is better service than the other person can give you. Mm -hmm. Better service, better relationship, mm -hmm. uh, more trust. Yeah. So we, no, we, need, we need to build those relationships up, don't we? Which means you need to have a conversation. I, I, I agree. I, I think it's all very much about relationships today, whether they're they're online or off. I mean, one of the challenges with, with the digital economy is how do you build a relationship when you're not face-to-face? -face? And it's a whole lot easier to do face-to-face, -face, but since so much commerce goes on remotely, I think there's got to be a whole new technology in, on how you can build those, those uh, connections to build relationships and trust. I think some tools like Skype or like Zoom where you can actually see the person uh, are huge you know, hugely beneficial in, in doing that where you can see the person and connect with them and you can see that they're not multitasking while you're having the conversation. Right, right. But I, I'm, my hope, and maybe I'm projecting here, but is that relationships will continue to be important and perhaps even more important and a differentiator that, you know, if you have a relationship for someone that, that doesn't, you're probably going to be more successful. Mm-hmm. I think it's also about um, who you're trying to have that relationship with, right? Is that there isn't a one size that fits all. There isn't a one technique that, you know, works with everybody. And it's like it's knowing who you are, what your style is, what your approach is, and servicing the people that are going to be, um, you know, cohesive with that style. Um, because, you know, there isn't um, just a one brush, is there? So it's, I think... Um, you know, marketing yourself to the people that are going to hear you and that's going to be your market instead of trying to market everybody and some people are just not going to get it. Well, that's, yeah, I think that that's the whole area of market segmentation of who your ideal customer is and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, right. That's pretty, I, mean, I, I think that one of the keys is to have, because it's, you know, we have to know ourselves, we have to know other people, there's all kinds of techniques around that that are, that are being taught, but I think having mindful conversations is the real key, and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, being not so focused on the content that you miss other things that are going on in yourself and your emotions are rising. When you see signals in that other person that they're nodding their head yes, but there's something in their tone that says no. Um, you know, it's it's wanting to pay attention to the conversation as much or more so than you are paying attention to that you're looking for from that conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, phrases like being in the moment and all those sorts of things. And I think those are still really important and highly relevant. You know, I think a lot of it is also what you do outside of your work. You know, you're um, very passionate about social issues and community service. 
and over time you've served you know as a volunteer member on the boards of Vancouver the theater sports league the north shore restorative the justice society the west vancouver's key meek center um you know working with children and youth with mental health um you know i think that when people see that you're more than just your business um and that what you are in your business is what you are in your outside life you know and you're a contributor you're a person that really kind of puts who you are as a person and your philosophy on the line and, and you know, is there to help others. I think that really becomes a great invitation to people to want having a conversation with you because they see that there's so much more to you. It's not just about you, that bottom line or that bottom dollar, but there is so much more to you that there becomes more of an invitation. I think that's true. I think it'd be a le- lot easier if I was independently wealthy as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> still trying to find Freedom the money tree. Patients want have to worry about the money, but mm-hmm. um, I I try to be consistent in my interest in what I do and and contributing. And I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of friends and colleagues that are you know that share that. It makes it really easy to be with them. And it, uh, the other thing I think that's really, really important in anything is um, I don't care how rich you are or how powerful you are, but your reputation is something that you build one client at a time. And uh, that integrity, you know, that dignity, the way you carry yourself, the way you care will transcend, um, you know, transcend your persona every time. And I think uh, we we have to be careful sometimes if um, going against something that we, you know, is is going to cost us that morale, um, and it's sometimes hard because you really, you know, the deal has to be closed, but it's going against your grain. You know, how how much would you say that integrity and that dignity of who you are and your rotation needs to be in the equation? Well, I I I think all of it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one of the questions that I will uh, pose you either in a keynote or a workshop or something like that is by whom do you want your behavior to be judged and that if you you change who you want to be judged by it often changes your behavior so for example if um, let's take in a sales situation if you want your behavior to be judged by your sales manager then you might make the sale that's not the best interests of the customer I mean we're hearing a lot of that with the, with the banks mm-hmm. these days you know or, or um, if if you want your behavior to be judged by your spouse, you might do something different. I, I know that having a daughter, it makes it really easy for me if I say, uh, in this particular case, what would I want her to see me doing? Mm. What would I want her to model in order to be successful? And to have that as a focus, it's a higher it's a higher level judgment or higher level perspective or focus on my behavior than if I just look at the person that I'm, I'm dealing with. You know, for some people, if you want to be your your conversation or your behavior judged by uh, your God or sense of, of you know spiritual presence or whatever, then again, it's it's a different it's a different perspective to base your decision on, right? And and uh, I think the higher the perspective you take of, or the, I'm not sure how to describe this metaphor, but but uh, the, the higher up the perspective that's going to be judging you, I think the easier it is to be authentic in all cases, right? So whether it's a conversation I'm having with a friend, a conversation with a client, a conversation with my wife or daughter, a conversation with a, uh, you know, a, a competitor or whatever, if I can hold that perspective to think, okay, but it'd be nice to say it was all driven internally, but I, for me, I find it easier to externalize a little bit and say, so, you know, who who do I want to be watching me and what do I want that individual to be seeing me do, right? Yeah. And if I can be clear and consistent on that, then all of a sudden uh, authenticity and consistency just totally fall into place. They're just absolutely not an issue. And they're very, very important because um, people might be impressed by, you know, your, your fame, your glory, your bank balance, your power, but who they really want to do business with is somebody that they can trust. And if you are a person that does live in your authenticity and your own respect and dignity, then that really opens the door to somebody really wanting to do, to know you. Um, so as you see, you have to carry yourself across the board. Uh, stand tall in your own representation of self, right? Yeah, and and, I'll, and 
just to give you an example of what happens when you don't do that, I'm, I'm a member of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers and work with a lot of speakers in, in Canada and states and all over the place. And what drives me crazy is if you find someone talking about the importance of deep listening and relationship and focusing on the person in front of you and all, have all these heart-rending stories, and they come off the stage and they treat you like an absolute, you know, yeah. like you have no value whatsoever. And the difference between what they say on stage and how they act is inconsistent. Yeah. And I've seen a number of people that are like that, you know, great on stage, love to chat with this person, and they come off the stage and you just feel like you've been slimed. Grandstanding. I, I've had that here, you know, when I've interviewed people, you know, as a point out, it's a conversation. And uh, you know, you say we're on air. I do the introduction, and then I might get a word or two in. Um, and you know, if you try and have that conversation, it just leads to more grandstanding. And the I find I don't I can understand how people can get maybe a little intoxicated and in listening to them, but if they're not living what they're preaching, then where's that authenticity and where's that success? You know, I think the person that's truly authentic is enriched, is abundant. Um, don't look at the bank account and get fooled with that or, you know, the fame. Look at the integrity of a person because that's really where the true enrichment lies. Yeah, and yeah. And who do you want to be with and who do you want to associate with? Yeah. Again, like, I see some speakers who are unbelievably wealthy, make you know, way more in a, in a month than I will probably in my life. And I think, you know what? I do not want to be successful like they are successful. Right. No interest in doing that because I couldn't, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. And I see other people that are maybe not as successful, but they are such decent human beings. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I want to be successful like that guy or that gal because that's, you know, that's, I think the world would be better if there were more people like they are. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And um, I also think that, you know, the, those others are, you know, they're a, a very fiery flame that burns out. Because somewhere along the line, people realize they can speak it, but they're not delivering it. Um, you know, and I think, again, it comes down to that vibrational connection. When you hear somebody talk and you know it comes from the heart, generally, when you really, you can feel that connection. And there, at the end of the meeting, they're there approachable, ready to speak to you. Then you know you've really got that person authentic and not the person that's got the bodyguards around them and a bead escorted off the stage. So... Um, you know, it's it's again kind of that buyer beware again, isn't it? Don't get uh, sucked in by the bells and the whistles. You know, is that person who's talking, you know, ecology and and sustainability driving a Hummer? <laughs> <You know? Hey. laughs> kind of be be mindful whom you're listening to, um, and who you're inspired to, and ask yourself why are you inspired by them. Um, and you know, a little bit more on them are they really practicing what they're doing conversation we can't get away from is that unless you want to be a hermit or a recluse or you know just stick on your phone or on the computer and never communicate with anyone conversation is something you're going to have at any time and anywhere and I think the biggest door opener is if you can physically the eye to eye the smile yeah. the uh, hello how are you it goes a very long way as to opening up that door f to a conversation. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, one of the things I think it dri I know it drives my daughter crazy, and I think my wife a little m less so, but I'll talk to just about anybody, <laughs> anytime, any place, just strike up a random conversation, just because everyone's got a story. Yes. Right? And yes. Uh, I'm quite happy with silence as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I avoid to be filled, but I, I really enjoy people and finding out, you know, what they're doing and what they're all about and and uh, and and what's going on. And it, it's, uh, we have no idea what impact we have. That grace of hello, how are you? How's your day going? Can be to that person. You know, we don't know they may be having a bad day and just being acknowledged, someone seeing someone sharing some of that, you know, um, energy with them could be a complete redirection for them. And I think, you know, another big two words that we're missing in this world is courtesy and grace. Yeah. And we need a lot more of it. Yep. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, even just some of the simple things like, 
know, the, the, the please and the thank you and, you know, the little nod, like when you let someone in the line in front of you in the car, just an acknowledgement that, that you actually did it. Not that you're doing it to get acknowledged, right. but it kind of reinforces it. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, again, just that mutual respect. Somebody's done something for you. A nice thank you goes a long way, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, but I think those, those are things that um, are what drives us, you know, and what gives us that, um, you know, incitement to keep doing these things is, is the fact that you know that, you know, you're making a difference to someone's life, whether it be, you know, a drop or a bucket. Um, it's part of your own, you know, integral uh, makeup. Um, and it's something that this world needs because I think people are so tired of just being a number, being unheard, being unseen, you know, feeling that no one cares anyway. And if we actually learn to interact, see, hear, and feel people a lot more and invite them into that conversation, um, we would actually see a far more connective world. I think there's another uh, requirement to do that, and that's if you go to engage someone and they choose not to engage, to you know, to make your choice to engage with them unconditional. So if if they don't want to talk to you, to then get mad at them, right. you know, in your own mind and say, well, <laughs> fine, you know, who needs you, and then get judgmental about it. That doesn't help a whole lot either. No. It, it has to be, you know, entering into a conversation that you're accepting of whatever the response is, but you've done your part to initiate it without having a, you know, a a judgment criteria for how good that conversation is going to be based on that other person's response. Well, people have become very fearful, haven't they? Oh, a stranger is talking to me. What do they want? You know, and people have become very, very fearful of that. And it's the climate, you know, the way hysteria has been built. And I think if we could just get over that and just, you know, smile back. Yes, a great day, well, lovely day. You know, just... You know, maybe try and step outside of that discomfort and realize that that person's just been nice. That's a that's a huge one. I think mm. that issue of comfort and fear, because I know as as a male, if I go up and talk to a woman, like I'm thinking, I'm talking to a person. I, it wasn't, oh boy, you know, here's an opportunity to make a connection and you know have any ulterior motive. However, I think there's some of that out there, and people yeah. have that that fear, like on. on talking to someone on transit or when I was when I was I lived in Toronto for a good chunk of my life and you know wow you talk to someone on on the no one would talk it's one thing that I found interesting rarely would someone initiate a conversation with me on the subway but if I initiated what was perceived to be a safe conversation people seem to love to have that conversation yeah right and and uh, but to have it without judgment like if someone comes up to you and so if a uh, and I'll just, you know, capture some of the fear that goes on in some people's minds. So if you're a single woman and a, a six foot four, 260 pound black man comes up, starts mm-hmm. talking to you, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Yeah. You know, and I tell you to be, wow, what a great opportunity for a conversation. Right. But then you add the situations if it's, if it's, uh, you know, late at night on a street downtown Toronto, is that different? than if it's in uh, a coffee shop in West Vancouver. There's all those other kinds of things. And we're just, you know, ruled by so much fear. Look at all the, the, uh, the fear around uh, Muslims. And I feel yes. so badly. I have some amazing friends who are Muslim, right. and I badly them because of the judgment other people keep on them. And a lot of it comes from, from fear and from our, you know, our own experience. My... I, <coughs> my uh, sister was married to a fellow that looked like a motorcycle thug, if you were just to look at look at him. Mm-hmm. The most gentle, kind, loving guy imaginable. He was amazing to my parents, but we have all these judgments that come from stories that we've heard, from what we've you know read in the newspaper, things that we've seen on TV, and we don't allow just a genuine person-to-person connection like two bubbles coming together and just connecting you know, common denominators those. again right you know um, like, I, yeah. I recently had an african-american muslim couple on and you know born in america generations um they just happen to be um, you know african american um, muslim americans and uh, you know they're saying the you know the kind of the persecution and everything that they're going through right now and they're they're a strong couple 
You know, they've got a strong couple there. They're not going to put up with any of that, and they're there to educate people. But there's a lot of people that aren't, you know, kind of so forthright into standing up for themselves, and they just feel persecuted and intimidated. So, you know, think think twice before you pass that judgment, because it's not just you passing judgment. It could be, you know, like that proverbial dagger in someone and build, really build up that fear and cripple their lives. Well, I like, you know, some of the hope that I have is for the, the young people. Like my, my daughter, if we talk about, you know, someplace that, that we've been or people we've stayed with, she does not associate with their color, their mm-hmm. gender, anything like that. It's like, <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't occur to her. You know, when, when I was growing up, and you look at the different judgments you might hold. There were you were straight or you were gay, right? Those are the options. Right. And oh, these kids, there's so many different variations of sexual preferences that it's like it just absolutely does not matter to her. That's such a tiny piece of it. it's who the person is, what's their personality, and things like that. Exactly. And, you know, I I hope that she you know keeps that judgment free acceptance of people forever. And spreads it on because yeah. that's exactly what we need. It's 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 uh, who you are. The you know the personality, the things that we have in common, our basic humanity, our our enjoyment of common books. Like she has an amazing array of friends that are connected by. In some cases, it might be um, an enjoyment of Harry Potter, and others it might be you know a, a particular Netflix show. It might be whatever, but. She starts with what the connections are, and it builds from there, but she doesn't judge people by that. Yeah. Yeah, I have three kids that are 28 to 34, and they're half Chinese. And, uh, you know, to them, it's, it's, it's about the character. It's about the person. Do I connect with you? You know, the, is there that synergy between us? And what package you're in is just your spice at the table. You know, not, um, not a... Um, you know, a reference to whether to like you or not. And I'm very grateful that they think that way um, because um, I hate this whole judgment of packaging, you know, and I think we need to get over that and start looking at ourselves from the inside out, not the casing. Um, you know, there's m- many a white person out there who who is not doing good things, right? So it's not, uh, it's not about well, the color. Friend of friend of mine's son um, was really... In- <coughs> in the Star Trek and things like that, and uh, when when he was in university and he was conversing with this this uh, another uh, person who's similar sort of thing, they were talking about the lack of strong female roles in in Star Trek and things like that. So they agreed to get together for a coffee. Well, um, what she didn't realize that he was actually a he, not a she, because his he he was uh, his name was one that was from a, another culture and it was really hard to tell male or female so you know it's kind of like you're expecting to see this woman and it's a man and and anyhow that led now that you know, they've been happily married for many years and have a, a son who's like 10 or 11 years old now so you know sometimes the anonymity mm-hmm. used appropriately can work really well because yeah. you don't have the judgment around right. that exactly yes and because we get in our way don't we this whole stereotyping um, you know, how can you have a conversation with somebody if you've already kind of been judge and jury, uh, you yeah. know, before you've even opened up your mouth and you could be missing out on a great connection. So, you know, uh, it's kind of put that judgment aside and get to know that person, you know, for who they are, why they are, not what they are. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. So would you let people know how they can find you, how they can book you, um, and uh, in any other little partings of wisdom that you can share with us before we go off the air? Uh, well, the best way to reach me is probably on my, by my website or my email, and uh, my name is David, as you know, at David Guthrow. That's G-O-U-T-H-R-O dot com. So website is www.davidguthrow.com name and uh, you know my phone number as well I'm happy to share that which is 604-926-6858 and those are those are probably the best ways and uh, you know I love having conversations with people if I don't have time I'll say that I don't have time and right. I'll find it to do it rather than pretend to have time for a conversation but uh, yeah and you well, know the, the conversation 
whether it's in business, whether it's personal, whether it's just social, you know, the art of conversation is something that actually uh, is what unites us, is what makes the world go round, it's what uh, helps creativity grow, security foundate. Um, so we cannot dismiss conversation and the gift of hearing each other, because from that is really where we know how to steer the ship. So I think um, conversing is something people need to kind of spend a lot more time on and, uh, you know, learning the art of it and learning to listen and learning to truly hear what that fundamental common denominator is. Totally with you. Well, thank you so much, David, for being with us here today and sharing your wisdom. And, uh, you know, to everybody out there, remember that conversation is uh, imperative. We need to keep it flowing and going. But come from that authentic place. Be true to your word and who you are. And uh, embrace uh, the wonderment of who other people are. Be a, be a little adventurous and a little investigative because you never know where it can take you or what can come out of it. And uh, you could be denying yourself something wonderful uh, because of the lack of conversation. So until next time, folks, bye for now. <laughs>